for me, it's about how you set up the team and the culture in the beginning. It's yep. once there are issues, I'm not saying it's too late. You can still learn. You can yep. still sort things out. But as leaders, I think our job is to make sure that we understand ourselves and we understand what happens with mental stress, mental well-being issues, and how we can actually stop them from happening in the beginning. You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Oli Sharp, VP of Revenue, EMEA at SalesLoft. How are you doing today, Oli? I'm very well, thank you very much. Thank you. Perfect. So today, we will be talking about managing stress in the sales world. But before we get into the detail, can you please introduce yourself, Oli, and the company that you represent, i.e. SalesLoft? Of course. So my name's Oli Sharp. I'm VP of Revenue at SalesLoft. Recently spent 10 years at LinkedIn and then joined SalesLoft as the Amir VP in April to set up the business across Amir. SalesLoft are a sales engagement company with sales engagement platform. Basically, that helps organizations become more, or sales teams become more efficient in their outbound activities and their communication with clients, whether it's for SDRs through to CSMs. It works on top of your CRM to line up the steps, the workflow to help the salesperson. With, with what they're doing, but also it ensures that your sales force is always up to date or your CRM, which is uh, one of the b- biggest bearers of any sales leader, as we all know. Tell me about it. Um, but it also helps with coaching and development of the team as well, because it's got conversation intelligence in there and listening into calls, etc. So it fits quite a broad range of categories, but with the market leader in what we do, and it's a well, it's, it's a great product. It's surely a great tool. We we uh, we have many of our customers using SalesLoft, so we we end up including that in our in our technology stack, and and definitely a tool that our team loves because it's removing the burden of the admin, yeah. Which at the sales consultant level is fantastic, and as you said, the reporting at the back end is fantastic. So automating all that is 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 great, and so. We're not here to speak about SalesLoft, despite the fact it's a great solution. So let's go back to the topic. And according to recent research, we understand that sales is the largest business sector to experience high level of work-related stress, which can come from working long hours, the stress of selling, the pressure, the dealing with with setbacks, and, and also taking a lot of risk in the sales process. And while I believe that in one end, Having a certain level of stress can get you going, can make you happy, and as far as its control, make you a successful salesperson. Obviously, an elevated stress level can quickly become a personal burden, and, and particularly if it's not managed properly. Mm. Right. So that's that's my statement. Now, coming to the question. So, as someone that has managed many successful sales teams, how do you think sales leaders should deal with teams that are sometimes stressed and underperforming, but also when they're underperforming themselves as a sales leader? I think it's, it's a tough one because a sales leader that is stressed is probably not going to act in the right way. For me, it's about how you set up the team and the culture in the beginning. It's yeah. Once there are issues, I'm not saying it's too late. You can still learn. You can yeah. still sort things out. But as leaders, I think our job is to make sure that we understand ourselves and we understand what happens with mental stress, mental well-being issues and how we can actually stop them from happening in the beginning. And I've worked for many a leader over my time that I can see the more pressure that is put on from a leader onto a team, mm-hmm. it's that 
adds to mental stress within yeah. a team. So I think that you're right with, I mean, cortisol levels rise when we get stressed, but there's a, a healthy level of that. But once it goes over a certain amount, then that's when it goes bad. That's when we get run down, we become tired, ill, and it can get worse from there. Sure. So I think that leaders need to be aware of themselves and the certain things that we can understand from different books and different learnings that help us understand and manage our own stress levels. So I think we leaders should be doing that and they should be aware of the signs within their team. Sure. There's, it comes down to the culture that they build. So I believe that a leader should build, or well my, my philosophy on it is I want to be, be very human, accept that I make mistakes, accept that I might not be in a good mood, accept be and honest about the mistakes, it, yeah. and be approachable. Mm-hmm. That's a really key thing that I think that if someone feels they can't, be, can't approach their leader about, even if it's to say I've got some personal issues, yeah. I need some time off, or this is why I'm stressed, and also lead by example. I mm-hmm. think it's a case of there's times that I may be run down and I, and I, I still think, oh, I can still make it to work. I shouldn't. I should think, no, if I wouldn't want my team doing that. And I think the open and approachable bit, open and honest and approachable is a big thing that if I'm open about my feelings and my stress levels, and one thing we do is in my team meeting, we have a check-in and we all say how we're feeling. Um, And if there's anything, what we're looking forward to, or we sometimes go through what rating ourselves on spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical capacity of how, how we doing with those, we spending enough time with our loved ones. So I think it's just being open and honest yourself and really making sure that your your team can be open and honest with you and giving it, making them understand you understand that you understand that sure. other things are more important than work. Uh, and coming to that point, so how how close do you need to be to their personal life? Because as you mentioned, sometimes you could have a work-related stress. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you could have an outside-of-work-related stress. We had the... Well, an example, and I won't go into the details because it's personal, but I had one, one employee telling me about the issue that he was facing at home. And obviously, you want to be supportive. But at the same time, as the manager, it's not really your role to get into the details. How important do you think it is to be close to the resource from, on, on a personal standpoint? I think you're right in the way that it's, is there a level of you can get too close to them? Yeah. And you're, you're right. You're not a counselor to them. But I think the key word for me is understanding. So if I know that someone is having issues at home or there's something that is impacting their performance, I would rather know so that I can be understanding of things. So if it is a case I need people to go to an event over in France or something, and I know someone's got issues and it's putting more pressure on them, I'll tell them I understand that that may not be their priority at the moment. I think having an open door that people can talk to you, Mm -hmm. but... Don't get stuck in the be- the way of being that person that is their counsellor. So that's the thing. So why is the limit then? What, what <laughs> it's, it's a hard you know, question Sometimes to too good, too stupid, you know, and people may just say, well, look, I'm so su- I'm supported by that person. So since I'm supported, maybe I can be, yep. you know, doing a little bit more, you know, taking yeah. advantage of it, if you will. So how do you make sure that you don't fall in that category? It's hard to do. I think that it's a case of being open enough to say, I don't think I'm the right person to help you with this. Maybe you should be looking at professional support. Yeah. Maybe you should be looking to speak to a friend. I think because I am your manager, I'm here to support you, but I don't think it's right for me to be that ear that you come that you come to with it. But at the same time, I think you need to make sure that they can come and speak yeah. to you 
rather than not feel they can. So yeah, you're right. It's a tough it's thing. The to right get. balance between firm oh, and emotional. 100%. Yes, exactly. So how, how can you develop a successful company culture where team members will feel valued and deliver results as consequence of their commitment and well-being? I think one thing is key to me that I learned early days and it's sort of an ally to this is the diversity side and this isn't just about gender diversity it's about diversity of thought diversity of personality everything because I think that once you build a non-diverse workforce as you grow you're going to make it more diverse and then it's hard for people to fit in so the earlier you can build the diverse workforce the better and just making sure that they feel at home there I think that there's key things that people tend to want to fit in I'm very, the way that I manage, I believe, is slightly different in certain ways. Of Well, that's what I've been told by the people that work for me. I'm very much, okay, I will set the boundaries, the accountability, and the what I expect of them, my expectations, right at the start. Right. And it's a case of, right, if you're doing these and you're successful, we will have a great relationship. I won't, I want you to have a good work-life balance. If you're not in it, if you're leaving it for I'll just trust you that it's because you're going to go do something that is for yourself. And I'm cool with that. But the one minute that you're not following our core values in your behavior or not doing, hitting these expectations, then we'll draw back to those and work out what's going wrong. But if you're doing those, so setting expectations and making them accountable early, then you concentrate on the culture, you concentrate on the, the having fun. People want to, my Jeff Weiner, CEO of LinkedIn, always talked about first of all compassionate leadership, which I think is uh, very strong. Yeah. Um, but secondly, one thing that always sticks with me, he always says that uh, happiness is looking forward to going to work and looking forward to going home. And I have that, and I hope my team have that because if you're not on a Sunday, you know, excited. <laughs> you, but on a Sunday, sometimes I remember being some jobs on a Sunday, yeah. like oh, oh I gotta go to work. Oh. And that's the worst thing. If, you, if, they, if they can't see a difference in their level of excitement or level of happiness between work and home, you, you're in a good place. Absolutely. I know it may be a very, very difficult question, but how do you define or measure well-being? It's a feeling, I guess. I mean, you can do EVSs, employee voice surveys, once, twice a year and see how happy they are. People are honest in there. Hopefully they're honest. It is a, you can normally tell by people the way that they act in an office environment, but you've got to know them. Some people are quieter, some people are noisier. So it, it is hard to measure. I mean, there's a book. And the reason why I'm very bothered about their well-being and their happiness is there's a, a book called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker. And people believe that successful people are happy. Yeah. research has been done it's the other way around that happy people are successful so the more i can make my team happy. happy in what they do i will get the best from them and i think that people don't realize that and i think it's an important lesson Absolutely. to think about well, that's kind of driving me to my next question which is how can the right mindset actually drive big performance yeah it's i think it's it is mindset and it is looking after yourself mm-hmm. so mindset is you're right we should it's mindset Everyone always thinks of Carol Dweck mindsets, thinking about the growth mindset, which I agree with. And I think it's having the positive mentality within the office space. So mindset does matter. And hopefully in the interview process, you're finding people with the right mindset. Yeah. And you, hopefully we understand what we're asking to get the right mindset. One thing I also look at when, I, when I'm talking about peak performance, there is Schwartz and Law wrote a book and they did lots of research into sport 
and there's uh, ever peak performance pyramid. And it's I talk to my guys about this every Q4 because it's, it's when it's rife that people aren't looking after themselves. And what it does, it, it you start on one level. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Physical capacity, we need to be looking after our bodies. We yep. need to be getting our heart rate going once in a while, eating the right things, drinking the right things, getting enough sleep. Then it's more emotional. Emotional capacity is more about are we doing the things that make us happy? Are we spending the time with, with, with people we like to spend yep. time with? Then it becomes the mental side. Are we, ta- are we switching our brain off? Are we constantly thinking or are we switching our brain off? And it's like a muscle that we need to make sure we're resting it, exercising it. Once we have those in place, the top level of what they talk about is spiritual, which is having a purpose, having a goal. And when you think about it and you, you look at that in more detail, Q4, most of this goes out the window. Yeah. We're getting yeah, not much sleep. Yeah, We're yeah. having a glass of wine straight away yeah. when we get home. Mince We're pie. thinking about, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's the mindset is big, but also how we look after our bodies and our minds is also good for me. But that does impact your mindset massively, how you're looking after your whole self. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned activity and getting the heart rate going and stuff like that. So we're really big on that. So we recently started like a month ago, uh, an operatics running club. Well, right. we get people, so tonight, I'll be running with some of the team in the dark, in the cold, probably in the wet as well. And we realize that it's been so successful. Yep. So people who never run just kind of got lifted by the rest of their colleagues. We've got people who do it in 20 minutes, mm-hmm. the 5K. We've got some other who do it in 40 minutes. But everybody waits for each other and there is a big celebration at the end, helping the other one. So, nice. And we really, I was really surprised as the the impact that he had and how much people wanted it you know it was just for fun at the beginning mm. and 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 it just it just got uh, it just got really interesting and now we've got too many people running on most which is dangerous <laughs> but i guess my point is what can we learn from the world of sports because there is tremendous amount of mental pressure in sport yep. we actually in our training use the example of uh, a boxer like mohammed ali going onto the ring and, and we use that analogy for Telling our reps that they should get prepared prior to a meeting. Yeah. Because if you prepare yourself, you're going to go on that ring thinking that you're going to destroy the other guy in front of you. You know that he's got a strong left hook. You know that you've got to cover yourself. You know when you're going to have to eat. You know if you need to be patient or not patient, etc., etc. So the preparation is key and the preparation gives you confidence yeah. in achieving your goal. But so, so we kind of get it. But I'd like to understand from your perspective how that analogy between sport, business, and mindset. Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of research. Even the Schwarzen Law Performance Pyramid came from the study of sport. Law was looking at this law, law um, was looking at tennis players, how they recover between games. But there's when it comes to mental toughness, there's a book called The Game Plan by Dr. Steve Ball, who yeah. Steve Ball's worked with the British cricket team, the Olympic team, etc. And he puts it in what happened was he was researching it in sport. He advises people in sport, psychologists. He's brought it into the professional world. And he breaks it down into four key areas of mental toughness, which are areas that are in sport but are so rife in business and especially sales. And the four areas are turnaround toughness. This is when, you're, when something bad happens, when you lose a deal, you miss your target, anything like that. And it's, he puts things in place, models in place to help these people that have had that happen. So for example, with turnaround toughness, it's about how you get your mind thinking positively again. So it builds a 12 peaks 
mountain peaks on a piece of paper or a whiteboard and they fill in positive things that they've achieved in their lives so far to get them thinking positively again. But then you think about how you can learn from what's happened. Yeah. Next one is uh, critical moment toughness. So this is about how do you go into the big board presentation or how do you go and do a big speaking engagement? And each of these toughness types, endurance and risk management as well, he puts models in place to help us cope with it. And that's really interesting for me because I think that we have these stresses every day, every Q4, but we don't recognize why we're feeling like that and how yeah. to overcome them. So that is something we can definitely learn from sport. But then you can look at things like marginal gains that isn't just around the mental side of it, but marginal gains, which was Dave Brave Railsford, the, the cycling coach, yeah. about just improving everything by 1%. And especially if someone is quite activity driven in a sales function, then if they can just if they can cut down their time between each call by one percent, if they can be a bit better on each call by one percent, it makes a big difference. So there's a hell of a lot. Sport and sales, I think, are, are hugely aligned. And also, you have lots of ex sports people in sales. Well, I don't mean sports professionals, but you most know, sports people go into sales. You've been referring a, a few books today. One of us is uh, I can't remember the exact title, but one of the things we, we learn a lot, particularly in the recruitment process, is, is that book from the the Upspot guy. I think it's to take a company from one to hundred million. Sales acceleration. Sales acceleration yep. formula. Yes, got it. That's Thank it. you. There you go. Yep. As a team, we're going to get. And one of the things that they say about recruiting people, the first characteristic is to find people or someone who is coachable. Yeah. And I remember a speech from one of the English rugby coach who was saying exactly the same thing. He said, I don't want the stronger guy in my team. It's not about how big you are. Really, what I want is do you have a sponge or do you have a stone between your hair? Yeah. If you've got a sponge, you are coachable, you can be in my team because it's about tactic. Yes, yeah. powerful things like that. Physicality, we can develop that. We can yeah. train that. But you know, we can make an athlete stronger, we can't make someone who is not really smart or yeah. doesn't want to listen or to stop or think he's got a better way, better. Yeah. No matter how good they are because it's a sport team. And I think that's, that's, that's a beautiful analogy and we use that a lot. So in our recruitment process, we actually do role play to see how people are coachable. Mm -hmm. And if they're not coachable, they, don't, they just don't make it. I 100% agree. I've read that book and it helped me growing my team because I went book. to 10 very quickly. And the biggest thing, one of the biggest things I learned from it, because I'm very much around culture. I, my, I chose a job on culture. I choose my people on culture. If someone can hit 200% isn't the culture fit, they're not coming yeah, into the business. But what it helped me do is how do you strip back your needs of recruitment into four or five main areas that, and it, it is Simple. a book talks about intelligence, work ethic, Curiosity. Yeah, so that's what oh. we've got. So we've got coachable. Second one for us is smart. So are they smart in the sense of straight smart, you know, yeah. uh, uh, social smart? The third one is around curiosity, which mm -hmm. is very critical for us because yeah. if you're not curious, you don't do your research. The third one is work ethic. And the last one is past experience. You know, and quite frankly, past experience, who cares? We had some guys here who've been top performer. They were laying fake grass before joining us. Yeah. We had some other who were just uh, carpet fitter. Uh, one of the guys who was successful in our German team, was starting with us maybe two months ago, was a bricklayer. Really? Before started. So, yeah. And probably one of our top performers in the business ever is a guy who used to play football for QPR. Amazing. Unfortunately, did both of his knees. Yeah. And now he's our VP sales and, and also the co-host on the, on the show. So... I think it's, it's, yeah, where you come from, past experience could have a sense, but I agree with you. Sometimes people tend to recruit clone or he's been working with a competitor. 
it's not truly worth my dollars. Go try Suki. Exactly. And as long as they can, as long as they've got some experience or they've got the ability, for example, to sell to sales professionals, different sales to selling to finance, it doesn't mean they can't do it to sell to finance. It's the ability to do yeah. it. But one of the questions I always ask at interview stage is, uh, what's the last thing you did to develop yourself? And I don't want to hear my company put me through this or anything. Have you read a book? Have you done something? Yeah, yeah. and even if it's, I wanted to be a marathon runner or something, that's development of themselves. Yeah. shown they can do something, get off the butt to do it and commit to it. So that's one of the key things I look for in the interview stage. Well, thank you very much for your insights. It was uh, really good. It was good to speak to you in person thank as well. Usually we do it over the phone, so it's, it's much more enjoyable in person. Uh, if anyone would like to carry on the conversation with you, pick your brain or even speakable sales love which is a fantastic tool and how that could uh, that could uh, make sense in their business what's the best way to get in touch with you Ollie? linkedin okay yeah find me on linkedin make sure you, there is another ollie sharp but there's ollie sharp at sales loft and just connect with me and uh, happy to help with anything or talk about a product whatever it is thank you well it was great to have you on the show today thank you very much thank you Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.